0: Welcome to Booksmart, a podcast where we read and share books that have a positive influence on our daily lives.
1: Whether it's self-improvement, success, or something fun, we're here to help you read your way to a better you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Em, and this week we're reading The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Before we get started, here's a brief
0: summary of this week's book. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love, that's the challenge. How can you keep your relationship fresh and growing amid the demands, conflicts, and just plain boredom of everyday life? In the number one New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, you'll discover the secret that has transformed millions of relationships worldwide. Whether you're single or your relationship is flourishing or failing, Dr. Gary Chapman's proven approach to showing and receiving love will help you experience deeper and richer levels of intimacy with future partners or your significant other, starting today. With over a million copies sold and now celebrating its 25th anniversary, The Five Love Languages is as practical as it is insightful. So Em, why did we read this book?
1: Okay, I have a long history with the five love languages. My parents read this book when I was in high school, so ever since – Then, probably 15 years ago, I have been a little bit obsessed. And friends, boyfriends, new acquaintances, near strangers will tell you that I will bring up the five love languages somewhere in our first five interactions and I will ask people to diagnose themselves and share their personal preferences with me. I just think this knowledge about how you prefer to give and receive love is so important in fostering any sort of relationship. But The ridiculous part is that despite proselytizing the five love languages, I had never read the book. Oh, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Nope. I had talked about it a lot with my family and taken the quiz several times, so I really fancied myself already an expert. But as we will find out in this episode, finally reading this book changed my mind about something really important – My own primary love language. It is totally different than what I thought it was over
0: the last 15 years. Which is fascinating because to totally back up your point, you did tell me what your love language was. (laughs) And so now I'm really curious to hear how it's changed. Yes. And I found out about the love languages through friends maybe a few years ago. And since I was single at the time, it took me a bit to learn more about what I think my love language is. But more than anything, my real aha from reading the book, which I did a few years ago, has been a better understanding that my friends and family have different Mm. love languages. And I think I've really used that knowledge to make sure that the most important people in my life feel loved as best as I can because I've now started making an effort to speak to different people differently from a love language perspective.
1: Absolutely. It's not just whether or not you're in a relationship, which is one of the reasons why I love that we're talking about this book. So let's open the book and get started. So let's start with the big concept. What are the five love languages? Dr. Gary Chapman, whom I will here on out now we're referring to as Gary. <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to say Dr. Gary. <laughs>
1: Dr. Gary.
0: <laughs> Can we call him Dr. Gary? Sure, yeah. Or just Gary. He is a close personal friend now.
1: Right, yeah. BFFs now that I finally read his book. <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll play it by ear. We'll see how it feels to call right. him in a moment. So Dr. Gary has identified five emotional languages that people speak and understand emotional love through. And there are also many dialects within these five basic languages, but... We'll start with the five big ones and then get into those dialects as we discuss each individual one. So the next big question here is, why are these important? Why is this self-knowledge something that can benefit us and others? Well, our love language and the love language of our spouse, or I like to say throughout this entire episode partners our partners our mm-hmm. we don't have loved to be married our loved ones our friends our family like yeah to me this is how we're expressing love to all the important people in our lives Agreed. not just the person we're married to gary uses the word spouse a lot and talks about marriage a lot but we're going to modernize that a bit oh, yeah. here <laughs> so your love language and the love language of your loved ones may be as different as chinese is from English. So no matter how hard you try to express your love to that person in English, if that person only understands Chinese, you will never understand truly how to love each other. You actually won't be able to communicate your emotional love to each other.
0: And they even say in the book that most of us grow up learning the language of our parents or Mm -hmm. our siblings, and it can often become our primary or native language. And later on, maybe we learn other love languages and we find that that's a better fit for us. But I think the comparison and the term he has chosen, that word language, is really fitting because we're all trying to say the same things. We're all trying to convey or receive feelings of love. But depending on what language you learn or prefer, it's going to come out in a different way that may or may not make sense to somebody else. Right. And that's the key is that
1: we need to speak in the love language of our partner, friend, loved one, for them to be able to understand the love we're communicating to them.
0: In fact, I think one of the biggest takeaways of this book is that love is something that you do entirely for somebody else. And so when you imagine expressing love, you are always imagining somebody else. It is entirely selfless. Mm -hmm. So although… We certainly hope that people in your life are imagining how they can express love to you. Mm -hmm. Your goal is to figure out your love language because that will help you communicate it to others. But then to also learn more about the love languages of those around you so that you can speak in their language so that they feel love from you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that is, like you said, the overwhelming takeaway here is that we – need to do this for others exactly, and we hope that they do it for us too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or we have the common language then to help them understand how to do it for us. Yeah, exactly. And this may seem obvious, but love is essential to our emotional health. Like in our development as humans, we have certain basic needs that must be met and a lot of them are emotional needs in order to develop healthily. And the need for love and affection and that sense that we belong and are wanted are core among those psychological needs. And this is where Gary had done a good deal of research. He was a counselor and an anthropologist in a previous life. So he came across this concept that we have a love tank that can run empty when our emotional needs are not being met. And when it is a full love tank, we are better able to grow and thrive. But when it's running low, that's when kids and adults misbehave, act out, or withdraw. And Gary says this is the source of many couples' problems. Or it can be an opportunity to improve an already great relationship. If you already have, like, a relatively full love
0: tank, you can understand how to make it completely full. I think the tank comparison is really – a helpful visual because he says it's as important as maintaining the oil level in an automobile. Like the car cannot run without this. Just as we as humans, we need this in order to really be at our best. So in other words, the ability to receive love and of course then for us to give love isn't optional. This is a core part about being humans and feeling like we matter is being able to find ways to fill up our own emotional tank. Absolutely. Another interesting concept to cover before we get into those five languages is about falling in love. So most of us enter long-term partnerships by this in love experience. And for those of you who have been in love, there's like, he describes it, he's like, the bells are going off. You're all feeling very excited. This feels like, you know, the real thing. There's this whole phenomenon and that the average lifespan of that romantic obsession is about two years. And eventually, We come back to earth after Mm -hmm. this real like honeymoon phase. And that's totally normal. But maybe quirks that were endearing before are now a little more annoying. (laughs) And that's where the love languages concept I think really starts to kick in.
1: Yeah. It's super interesting because when you're in that – that in love phase is where you're in that obsessional, you'll do anything for this person and you think about them all the time. And we are often just doing everything we can to express love to them. And it's not necessarily in accordance with our own love languages or theirs. We're just like overflowing with love as we express it to them. But after that, as you said, honeymoon period comes to an end, we tend to revert back to who we really are and it, is often when we just go back to expressing our love in the ways that we prefer. And so all of a sudden, this person that we're with is potentially not getting it in the love language that they speak. So suddenly they've gotten, you know, love from all kinds of different angles, and then something changes, and they're not getting it.
0: To be clear, too, like after those two years, he calls this the pursuit now of real love. And it's the kind of love that is emotional, it's just lacking that obsessional part. So Mm -hmm. we don't want you to feel like the possibility of a lifelong love is not on the table for you. It absolutely is. It's just that those first two years have a different obsessive quality, which has been even noted in a lot of research and in studies of what the brain looks like when it's in love. But then after that, it's a lot more about your choice. And so that's where this comes into play is you need to choose to understand your partner's love language so that you can help fill up their emotional tank as he calls it. And that kind of love requires a lot of effort and discipline, but to his point it's totally worth it. And even if you're not in a committed partnership right now, imagine the love you feel for a family member or certainly I hope there is still somebody in your life who this applies to, but we all have love that is very lasting and I'm sure you can appreciate just the knowledge that you do have to put in a little bit of work to make sure other people feel loved and that it's totally worth it.
1: Yeah, this His description of that real love that we then pursue after the in love emotional high, temporary emotional high, was where it all sort of made sense to me. Like it was a little tricky for me to be like, but what about the in love? That that part's so Mm -hmm. fun. And then he says like after that fades, which it will do naturally and that's fine, the next phase is like even more powerful because we have this you know, basic emotional need to not only fall in love, but to be genuinely loved by somebody else and to know a love that grows out of reason and choice, not just like instinct and passion. And it's in that choosing to be there and be that person for our partners that real love grows. And that's the stuff that you know takes us into our 90s uh, when we're old and ugly.
0: <laughs> hmm So how do we get there? It's through understanding your partner's love language. And we're going to go through all five one by one. Yes.
1: Okay. so first, let's just do a quick recap of what all five love languages are. First is words of affirmation, giving verbal compliments, appreciation, kind words, encouraging words. The next is quality time, giving someone your undivided, focused attention, and having quality conversation or doing quality activities with somebody. Receiving gifts giving visual symbols of love, purchased, found, or made. The next is acts of service, doing things that you know your partner would like you to do and doing them with a positive spirit. Lastly, physical touch, holding hands, kissing, hugging,
0: etc. We're going to go through each, starting with words of affirmation. So one way you can express love emotionally is to use words that build people up. So like Em just said, these include verbal compliments or words of appreciation, and those are really powerful ways that you can communicate love to somebody else. They are often best expressed as really simple, straightforward statements. Things like, you look sharp in that suit, or thanks for getting the babysitter lined up tonight. I want you to know I don't take that for granted, or one I really like, you can always make me laugh.
1: Yeah, I like that one too. I think that's the, the most important thing here to remember is that these are, these are simple. These are not like writing a five-page letter to your loved one about how amazing they are. It's just recognizing in that moment something that might brighten their
0: day or let them know that you're thinking of them. Just to be clear and get this out of the way too before we dive in, this is not about using verbal flattery to get your spouse or your partner to do something (laughs) because the object of love is not getting what you want. So the point of doing this is for the well-being of the other person. You're doing this to build them up. It is a fact that when you get affirming words, you are probably more likely to be motivated or to reciprocate, but that's not what we're trying to do here. This is not like a pep talk from a boss. This is just you giving words freely to show your love and appreciation. Exactly.
1: Gary does point out that while all of the love languages could be manipulated for not love, but for getting others to do what you want, this is not what this is about. This is
0: Only about giving love generously to others. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there are a couple of different types of, he uses the phrase dialects, but like types of words that could be considered words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. One is encouraging words. So being encouraging requires just empathy and really seeing the world through your partner's eyes. And to do that, you have to be a great listener and you have to start to imagine what is important to them and what would be helpful or reassuring for them to hear in the moment. So what your partner will hear is, you know, I know, I care about you. How can I help? I hear you. And your goal is really just to help them feel heard.
1: Yeah. So I initially thought that I was words of affirmation as Mm -hmm. my primary love language. And I do think it's one of my top ones, absolutely, because it means so much to me when somebody recognizes my talents or my efforts. And these encouraging words in particular, I think, are really, really powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was starting my business, I had a really wonderful partner at the time, and he would say often how proud he was of me. And like I was the one doing all the work, but it just felt really nice for him to acknowledge it from the outside and just recognize that he saw how hard I was working and how creatively and emotionally and intellectually challenging that endeavor was. And his support really meant a lot.
0: Yeah. I think that a big part of this too is like the validation. It's like, yes, like I've got this or especially starting a business. That's so huge. And as optimistic as you may feel about it, having somebody else say that they believe in it too or that they're proud of you or even in a moment where it's tough, having them encourage you and saying, like, you know, I think you're going to get through this and it might be hard right now, but it'll be worth it, is invaluable to somebody who speaks the love language of words of affirmation. Exactly. Right. What's tricky about, I think, words of affirmation, before we talk about a few more, Mm -hmm. is that if you're not used to saying these words out loud, it might be hard to develop that practice. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of us, maybe you have a loved one and you're always noticing – the little things that she's doing, or you're noticing how well he's doing at work. Like Maybe you notice them, you aren't verbalizing them though. Mm -hmm. And to the partner, just saying them out loud will make such a world of difference. So we'll we'll get into maybe more of that, but starting to notice in your head, if you're imagining or saying something nice mentally, Mm -hmm. starting to practice just saying it out loud. Yeah. As a fact, not -hmm. not
1: long and involved. No, exactly. Just
0: a quick sentence or two.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another type of Word of affirmation are like kind words, just saying something nice, like the way that somebody looks, or that you appreciate their effort, or a thank you. And something important here is that the tone, yeah. like the intention, really matters. <laughs> so if you say something nice, but you're doing it in a snide way, like that does not count. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. The whole experience of the words of affirmation needs to be positive. I I love that Gary called that out. It's like sharing kind words. With a kind tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so important. So important.
0: There's one more concept too on humble words. Yeah. And this is about giving guidance, not ultimatums. Yeah. So he says, love makes requests, not <laughs> demands. And when you start to demand things from a partner, then you become more like a parent child relationship rather than a partnership as equals. Right. So an example he gave is the husband who says, could you make that good pasta one of these nights is just sharing guidance on how to love him and thus, you know, build intimacy between them. But instead, if he were to say, can't we ever have a decent meal around here? (laughs) Then he's being whiny and making a demand and his wife is probably going to be like, okay, you cook, see you never. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a real difference between the
1: two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And inherent in his request, could you make that good pasta one of these nights is a word of affirmation. He's saying like, you cook that delicious pasta that I love. I'd love to have that. Could we have it at some point? He's not saying when, but he's also complimenting her skill and the way she cares for their family unit as well. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're not a person of many words or if verbal expressions of love are difficult for you or not your primary love language, then just think about a couple ways you could start to make this easier for yourself. Like, Gary recommends keeping a notebook or just a note on your phone of nice ways to express love. Like, if you hear somebody say something nice that you think you could use in your own daily words of affirmation, just jot it down so you start to have a vocabulary for it. Another thing you can do is to say positive things about your partner when they're not around. This is interesting to me because it lets you practice in lower stakes. Like, you're not saying this directly to your partner, and often, The example he uses is saying to your wife's mom, like, oh, you know, Jennifer really does, like, such a wonderful job with the kids. And then, like, Jennifer's mom is probably going to say, like, oh, your husband made the the nicest compliment to you. So, like, having it get back to them, (laughs) I think, was a funny workaround (laughs) for not saying it directly.
0: Well, it's an interesting, like, double whammy, too. Like, if you say something nice... About your partner to their friend, yeah. And then the friend goes and says it. It's almost like, okay, my partner said a nice thing, and then my friend agreed, and now they're both saying yeah. it to me. So it's a good way to practice, but it's also just a nice thing to do.
1: Absolutely. So if
0: your partner likes words of affirmation, yeah, that's a good insight. It's not just that you should be affirming them to their face, right? You should affirm to the people that they love as well.
1: Right. Right. Similarly, for affirming your partner when you're in front of others, so you're at a party and somebody compliments the guac, and you say like, yeah. And makes amazing guac, which I totally do. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, just like writing downwards of affirmation, like leaving a little card or a letter or an email or just a small text to your partner to let them know you're thinking about them. I do this with friends all the time. If I haven't talked to somebody in a little while or I know they're going through a time of it, I'll just send a quick text and say like, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm sending you good vibes or, hey, I'm thinking about you. I haven't seen you in a while. I'd love to catch up like heart emoji.
0: Yeah. What strikes me most about words of affirmation is that it does not take a lot of effort no, yeah. to share. And I don't think I uh, had thought about this much before, but it doesn't have to be like novel. Mm-mm. You don't have to say something that is groundbreaking right. in order for it to be affirming. And in fact, there are probably certain words of affirmation, like I love you is a good example, where some people might really enjoy hearing that regularly. Right. And there's nothing new about that phrase. It's just yeah. hearing it from you is what matters. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like you have to spend a lot of time like crafting some perfectly witty compliment. Yeah. Just noticing like, hey, you did a great job on that presentation today. Absolutely. It can be, this fits, I think, more than maybe a lot of the others in a work setting as well, mm-hmm. where words of affirmation is something you can share really freely with a partner, but mm-hmm. also with coworkers, with your friends, with your family. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody in your life finds that meaningful, it's a really easy one to share. Absolutely. But of course, this might not resonate with you. Maybe words of affirmation, don't do it. And so maybe this second one, quality time, might be more your language.
1: Yeah. So quality time is giving someone your undivided, focused attention, spending time having quality conversation, or doing what your partner considers a quality activity together. And Gary says really specifically, what I mean is sitting on the couch with the TV off looking at each other and talking. (laughs) Devices put away, giving each other your undivided attention. It means taking a walk, just the two of you, or going out to eat and looking at each other and talking. So he makes this sound so intense, but this is when I realized that this is my primary love language. Like we all have such busy lives. We work really hard. Our phones are really distracting. And we just want to relax at the end of the day. And it sometimes is really hard to just... Remember to stop and spend quality time with the person, like looking at them and talking with them. And that to me feels like the most core, core, core component of connection for me. And I want this like from my friends, from my partners. Like I had such an aha moment when he said that sitting on the couch with the TV off looking at each other and talking. <laughs> I was like, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but a little bit.
0: Yeah. I can't wait to dive into that more probably in our next episode Mm -hmm. where we share personal notes. Mm -hmm. But that really is why this isn't called togetherness. Yes. Like, it's not enough to be in the same room Mm -hmm. with somebody. The key ingredient is giving them quality time, focused attention, especially in an era right now where there's so many distractions. Mm -hmm. And. The staring at each other sounds great, but it could also be about doing something that they find enjoyable. So you don't necessarily have to be like long-term eye contact situation, (laughs) but it could be something that they enjoy. Like if they like going to shows or if they like going to museums Mm -hmm. or they like going hiking, it could be that. Those are not your favorite things, but you would be glad to do it with them.
1: Yeah, and that's the key, that a big part of this is you're doing something that your partner or friend wants that matters to them and doing it wholeheartedly. You're showing up and you're saying, I know this matters to you, so I'm going to be present. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be here for you, even if it's not your absolute favorite thing.
0: Mm -hmm. A big takeaway I had in this chapter is that conversation is not the same as quality conversation. Yeah. So it may feel like you went out to dinner with somebody and you spent – maybe an hour or more getting dinner, that doesn't necessarily mean, though, that it was quality time right. if it was all surface-level stuff. Right. So there are some points of feedback in the chapter where his former clients would say things like, my partner doesn't talk to me. That doesn't mean that it's a literal avoidance. Right. It just means that they don't feel like they're getting a deeper level of connection or conversation. Right. And a big part of this, too, is that sometimes people aren't looking for advice. Mm-hmm. They're just looking for sympathy. But a lot of us are trained to, like, analyze problems and create Mm -hmm. solutions. That's not what quality time people in a certain dialect are necessarily coming to you about. Often they're just sharing because they want to share and they want you to feel like you're in it with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He calls that sympathetic dialogue, and it's when two individuals share their experiences, thoughts, feelings, and desires in a friendly, uninterrupted context. And it's really that digging into experiences, thoughts, feelings, like that's where the real
0: connection happens. It's not just talking about your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a key part of this quality conversations element of quality time is learning how to listen. Mm -hmm. It sounds so obvious we all think we're listening, but really we're probably just existing. So (laughs) here are five tips he has about how to listen. Number one is maintain eye contact. That helps you keep focused. Similarly, number two, don't multitask. And if you can't give your full attention, maybe just ask to finish up your current task so you can really be fully present. And most people will respect that. If you say, hey, I actually need five minutes to wrap up. Do you mind? Totally feel free to ask for that space. Number three, listen for feelings. Ask, what is this person experiencing? And then really just to make sure, say it out loud. Say to your partner or your loved one, like, hey, it sounds like you're feeling blank because of something. Is that right? And even just having you say that out loud will make them feel really heard and acknowledged. Or if it isn't quite right, they'll also help you better understand. Both are a win. Number four is to watch body language. Sometimes people don't communicate exactly what they want with mm-hmm. their words for various reasons. So the body language could either support or negate what they are saying.
1: Yeah.
0: And lastly, don't interrupt. <laughs> Your goal is to understand them, not to make a point, not to offer a solution. So more than anything, just let them talk and be actively engaged.
1: I loved all of those tips and I loved that this quality time love language really culminates to listening, which makes sense because the love languages in general are about listening to what your partner's requests are for how they want to receive love and so that you can respond in the way that's appropriate to what they want. So we have to be able to hear it. But listening, I think, is a it's a real
0: skill and it requires practice. And I don't think many of us are taught how to listen yeah, either. Right. Yeah. So we talked that's the quality conversations element, but there are also quality activities. So even if you like quality time, maybe all that couch staring and chatting (laughs) appeals to some of you, but others may respond more to this statement, which is... I feel loved when we do things together. Mm-hmm. So quality activities are very personal, but they could be putting a garden together or going to a concert or working out together or even having other people over to your home mm-hmm. and hosting. So that's really just about what they enjoy more so than maybe even what you both enjoy doing together. Yeah. I'm sure you have both of those, but the essential ingredients of a quality activity are at least one of you wants to do it, <laughs> the other one is willing to do it, and both of you know why it's happening. In other words, you're doing it to express love by being together.
1: Yeah, yeah. An example of this that it didn't really occur to me at all is he said when you're not in like physical presence with your partner. Um, I had a long-distance relationship last year, and my partner was so great at sending me photos of things that were happening throughout his day, so even though I wasn't with him, I felt like I was completely involved in sort of the minutiae of his day and going along on his walks or exercise or cooking. It felt like we were spending that quality time together, having doing quality activities, even though we were doing it from a total distance.
0: I had never thought about that either. Yeah. And I think technology really enables a lot more of all the love languages. Yeah. Texting is a huge yeah. new concept for words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Sharing photos or even... Video clips, voicemails, yeah. like anything could be contributing to quality conversation mm-hmm. or even quality activities where you could share photos of yourselves yeah. later on to remind them of a yeah. quality activity you shared together right. and just say you're reminiscing about yeah. it. Or if you're just out doing grocery shopping and yeah. you wanted to take a photo and say like what do you want for dinner? Yeah. Now you're involving them in the process. Yeah. So there could be a ton of options with photos and technology.
1: Yeah. Just choosing how you're going to be present to each other, whether you're in person or not. And before we talk about love language number three,
0: receiving gifts, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks,
1: original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers,
0: broadcasters, and entertainers. Of course, we recommend you use your free book to check out The 5 Love Languages, but you can choose any book you'd like. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash booksmart for your free audiobook.
1: Next up is love language number three, receiving gifts. And this involves giving visual symbols of your love. They might be purchased, found, or made, but they're gifts that your partner can hold in their hands and know that you are thinking of them. The material value of this gift does not necessarily matter. You can also think about your own physical presence, the gift of self, as a really important part of this love language,
0: too. I think this is one of two misunderstood languages, Mm -hmm. possibly the other being physical touch. But receiving gifts makes it sound like somebody needs extravagance. Right. And really, all this is is something that you said, M, which is a tangible thing that somebody could hold or say, that reminds me of a time they showed me love, mm-hmm. or this is a symbol of a time that we were together. Mm-hmm. And I think a good example is how moms remember when kids bring flowers from the yard as a gift, yeah. and they feel loved, even if it was a dandelion, which is A weed. Right. (laughs) Like, they still feel that kind of love. And something interesting he points out, uh, Dr. Gary points out, is that from our early years, kids are inclined to give gifts to their parents, like Mm -hmm. little dandelions or the paintings they make in school, which could be another indication that gift-giving is fundamental to love.
1: Yeah. He also said that in every culture he studied as an anthropologist, gift-giving was a core part of the love and marriage
0: process. We said it before, but probably worth stressing again that money doesn't matter. So even a card would count, but there was a sweet example in the book of a couple who went to a baseball game, and the man caught the baseball. Oh, yeah. And it was their first date. They were both baseball fans. He had been, like, wooing her for a year. (laughs) And then after the date, he got the baseball in a little collector's box, and he wrote, like, second best part of the night, catching this ball. First best part was getting to go out with you. Yeah. And they later were married and she still really cherishes it. Yeah. And so that's a gift that I think is really special because it reminds her of the moment. Yeah. And it didn't cost him any extra money. Yeah. He included the ticket stub too. So <laughs> arguably, you know, the ticket going to the game <laughs> wasn't a free experience. But I think that's a good example of a gift that has a meaning behind it and really shows love.
1: Yeah. Reading about what Gary had to say about receiving gifts as a love language changed how I thought about this. He just says symbols have emotional value. So these are purely symbols of your love. I always associated gift giving with the stressful process of picking something out and is it going to be right for them? Are they going to like it? Do they already have it? Does it mean enough? Does it not mean enough? How much am I spending on this? Like there's so – it felt like emotionally fraught. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so now that I can reframe it and just think about this is an emotional symbol of my love, mm-hmm. that feels
0: a lot easier. Definitely. And I have some loved ones in my life who I believe speak the language of receiving gifts. Mm-hmm. And something that I would say is that this is not about being the best person birthday gift giver Mm -hmm. or the best Christmas gift giver. Mm -hmm. This is about showing love 365 days a year. So if somebody you know speaks this love language, your goal is not to give them the best gift on the two-ish milestones that come up every year, Mm -hmm. birthday, Christmas, anniversary, maybe let's call it like under five. Your goal is to imagine how can I show them my love regularly So it could be as easy as like little post-its in the morning if you wake up earlier and you make the coffee and you can leave a little post-it to say that you were thinking of them. That could be words of affirmation. So I actually think an action like that could appeal to a Mm -hmm. couple love languages, but it's something really small. Or maybe you enjoy an experience together and then they keep the ticket stub. Or there's just a lot of little ways that you don't have to spend extravagantly. Mm -hmm. This is not about getting somebody a gift every single week of a huge scale. (laughs) But even having a shared experience and keeping a memento could be a gift or something small that just says, I'm thinking of you.
1: Yeah. Whenever my dad would come home from business trips, he would bring us candy. And Mm -hmm. so we would like run outside to greet him and he would throw candy in the air and then we would catch it. That's amazing. And it like, as someone who does not really identify with receiving gifts as being a love language, I just had that memory when you're like, it doesn't have to be anything big. It it's a really happy memory from childhood, and I know that receiving gifts is one of the love languages that are important to him. So I don't know. It just made me think of like, it can be super tiny. My dad brought gifts
0: home from business trips too. <laughs> oh, what a dad move. Yeah. <laughs> so sweet. I think that leads us into the fourth love language, which is acts of service. So acts of service mean doing something that you know your loved one would like you to do. And by you know, serving them or helping out, you are expressing your love by doing something. And a few examples could be cooking a meal, emptying the dishwasher, picking up a prescription, paying the bills, mm-hmm. walking the dog, dealing with landlords. These are not overtly romantic items, mm-hmm. but they require a lot of thought and planning and effort and energy. So if you're doing them with a positive spirit and you know it's maybe something that your partner does not want to do, it is really an expression of your love that you were willing to put in the time to do it.
1: Yeah. Those acts say to them, I was thinking of you. You are with me even when you were gone and I know this is important to you and therefore I invested my time and
0: energy to do this for you. I think that acts of service might be tough for people who don't identify with this love language to understand it. Mm-hmm. And Gary gave one example of a man he was counseling who didn't understand why his wife wanted him to do the laundry. Yeah. And this man's love language was uh, physical touch, which we'll talk about yeah. shortly. And Gary said, the way that you feel when your wife you know, gives you a hug or offers physical touch is how she feels when you do the laundry. Right. And then he was like, oh, man, I'm going to do the laundry all the time. (laughs) So I guess this is really applicable for any language. But imagine whichever one makes you feel loved. That's how somebody with the love language of acts of service will feel when you make their lunch in the morning and they don't have to. Or when you pick up the kids after school, when you do the laundry, when you do something around the house. So they feel loved because I think it's a way of showing that you're taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, that's really powerful. Yeah.
1: This one seems like a more time-consuming love language to, <laughs> to give.
0: <laughs> Which maybe not, though. It probably goes both ways. So like vacuuming is a bit time-consuming, certainly more than mm. a word of affirmation. Mm. But it could be something really small, I'm sure. And also, if, some, if your partner's love
1: language is acts of service, they're probably doing lots of acts of service in return. And also, these are things that just – Get done in normal life. So the garbage has to go out. Why not do it with like a true spirit of love and fill up your partner's love tank in
0: the meantime? Totally. Or imagine, like, let's say your partner hates taking out the garbage. Right. And maybe you're kind of like not really into it, but you don't really mind. Right. For you to do that, they would just be over the moon because it's not just that you're doing it, it's that they don't have to. Yeah. I think really, yeah, there's something about just the time To your point, it does take a little bit of time, Mm -hmm. but because you're willing to do that, Mm -hmm. I think it could be seen as a very affectionate way to show your
1: love. Yeah. I think I can see myself like strategizing in the future with a partner and being like, what do you hate to do? And Mm -hmm. I'll do that for you out of
0: love. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in fact, in this chapter, Dr. Gary recommends making lists of, especially for people who have this love language, or if you know your partner has this love Mm -hmm. language, having them list what are the actions I could take or right. what are the things I could take care of that would make mm-hmm. you feel loved? It's a huge help because yeah. there was an interesting example of two partners in a relationship with each other, as partners are. <laughs> and um, they had the same love language of acts of service, yeah. which we'll touch on this shortly, but is actually kind of rare. Mm-hmm. He says that they're the same. And the problem is they were both doing acts of service. But they were not the actions that the other person felt love from. Right. So I guess the takeaway here is ask your partner what would make them feel loved. Not all partners with acts of service want you to do the laundry. Right. That might help some people, but not others. Yeah, so, divide and conquer
1: on the task. Like exactly. don't do the laundry. If, totally. <laughs> if it's
0: not one. Yeah. Yeah. And I know of some couples too, where um it's a happy division of labor that they've each kind of taken on the chores that the other person doesn't want to do. And acts of service does not only have to be about chores. Like I would say cooking a nice meal for your spouse doesn't have to be seen as a chore. That's just an act of you showing love. Even if you really enjoy cooking, it's still a sign of your love for them. Right.
1: Finally, the love language of physical touch. This one's pretty self-explanatory. It's holding hands, kissing, hugging, sex, or even small touches, just like patting their arm or rubbing their back when you pass by them in the kitchen, for example.
0: And Dr. Gary mentions that this really starts off as babies, and babies who are held or kissed and really just warmly enveloped with love develop a healthier emotional life than those who aren't. Mm -hmm. And he mentions this for all the love languages throughout the chapters, but there's a real biology behind all of these. Yeah. But also importantly, touch can communicate many emotions. Mm-hmm. So a hug could be about you know, pleasure, but a slap could also really yeah. indicate pain.
1: Yeah. That was, I think, an important thing to note that Dr. Gary said that because touch can literally communicate love or harm to the person whose primary love language is physical touch, a physical message will be far louder than saying, I love you or I hate you. So touch intending to love or intending to
0: harm will be felt much more strongly to them. Yeah, and he gives a lot of what he calls implicit options, like Mm -hmm. the hand on the shoulder while you're pouring coffee in the morning or sitting close while you watch TV. Mm -hmm. For someone whose love language is physical touch, those really small gestures will go such a long way. And one example that he gave that I think stood out is He says maybe you're at, you know, a family member's house for dinner and you're sitting on the couch. For you to put your arm around their shoulder, even when you're relaxing at home with family, Mm -hmm. is a symbol to them. Like even though other people are around, I still see you. I still feel connected to you. And so if that's your partner's love language, that'll go a really long way.
1: Yeah. And of course there are explicit ways that you can express physical love. And these might demand your full attention. This might be like, Sex is an obvious one or a massage where you're really paying attention and it requires you to really be in the moment
0: with your partner. Mm -hmm. I think there's something very loving about the ability to feel a physical connection to somebody. So it makes sense to me that a lot of people might have this love language.
1: Yeah. And Dr. Gary talks about how we all have a primary love language, but a lot of us experience the positive messages of love from a
0: bunch of different ones. So now that we've covered all five, I'm sure you're wondering, what is my primary love language? Yes. And I think a lot of you may have a gut reaction where after listing all five, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch, there's one that may have already spoken to you. And you're like, yep, that's the one. And actually, as a small personal anecdote, when I read the book for the first time, my real aha was noticing what my loved ones were. Mm -hmm. It was immediately obvious to me what my parents, my sisters, some of my friends, like I had an immediate reaction to Mm -hmm. knowing that certain loved ones of mine Mm -hmm. had certain love languages, which has been a huge help. Mm -hmm. But in the book, Dr. Gary offers three suggested ways to discover your own primary love language. There is also a quiz. We'll link to it in the show notes. But for now, here are the three prompts. First, Ask yourself, what does your partner do
1: or fail to do that hurts you most deeply? The opposite of what hurts you most is probably your love language. Second, ask yourself, what have you most often requested of your partner? The thing you have more often asked for is likely the thing that would make you feel most loved. Third, in what way do you regularly express love to your partner? Your method of expressing love may be an indication that that would also make you feel most loved.
0: This was a real aha for me because you'll notice none of them said, which one sounds the most like you? Right. And I think the first one really stood out about imagine the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so he says, like, if your deepest pain is really critical words, Mm -hmm. then maybe your love language is words of affirmation. Right. Because dismissive words are obviously harmful for anybody. Mm -hmm. But if that's your main love language, that'll really stick with you. Yeah. And he does say, like, if two languages seem to be equal for you, you could be bilingual. And if anything, that'll just make it easier on your spouse because now they have two to choose from, Mm -hmm. which is great. But he kind of cautions that usually most people have one, maybe two, Mm -hmm. but probably not more than that. Mm
1: -hmm. Another example that he didn't include in this list, but he does mention another time, is that... You can start with all five and then eliminate one at a time the one that you could live without. And so when I was like, I thought I was words of affirmation. How come now I think I'm quality time? i That's the activity that I did was I just started eliminating them one at a time. And I realized that truly if I don't have face-to-face time with my partner and we're talking about real stuff, having that quality conversation, I don't feel like we have love that we're exchanging. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's how I confirmed my primary love language. But Melissa, how have you been chipping away at the list to figure out what yours is?
0: Well, I think I had a bit of a harder time because yeah. maybe because I'm single, I don't have a current relationship mm-hmm. to look at. But in the next episode, um, you're going to help me figure out what my oh, love language great. is. Oh, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I think I know, but we're going to talk through it together. Stay tuned for that next Stay week. tuned. Mm-hmm. I will say just one more comment because I brought it up. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're single, there are plenty of places you can look for hints, not only in past relationships, but in your family and friends and just the people you surround yourselves with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I have a week where I have lots of really great quality time with friends, my love tank is overflowing. Like, I'm so delighted in those weeks. And I mentioned that when I had those two really busy work months previously this year, my love tank felt low. Like, I think that's also why my play tank felt low is I just felt like there was not enough good stuff in my life that was happening in a, in a positive personal way to buoy me.
0: Mm-hmm. I think we've both mentioned this, but both of us had takeaways that were broader than just a partnership. Yeah. To me, this was really about the collective amount of love that I feel from mm-hmm. all of the loved ones mm-hmm. in my life. And I think a reason why is something he covers in a chapter called Love is the Difference. Mm. But he says love gives us significance. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't optional. We need this biologically. Mm -hmm. We want our lives to count for something and being loved by a partner or anyone in your life enhances that sense of significance. Mm -hmm. And how nice is that thought that we want to feel significant and that actually inspires me to want to show love to my loved ones as well, because I want them to feel significant. Mm. So I think that that was a really nice part of kind of his closing chapters is just we need to feel love. It's not optional. And it does make us feel like we have meaning in this world.
1: Yeah. And what a huge gift we can give to people. We can choose to give it. And that's actually his other huge point too, is that when we choose to love each other the way we most need it, it is a choice that we need to make every day. And especially when it's not our love language that they speak, we're also saying to our partner and our loved ones, like, this action doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. And so it's an even greater expression of my love to you.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to mention, he does have some other spin-off books, The Five Love Languages for Men, Tools for Making a Good Relationship Great, Five Love Languages of Children, The Secret to Loving Children Effectively, and The Five Love Languages for Singles, The Secret that Will Revolutionize Your Relationship. So if any of those are of interest to you, there are quite a few flavors on his original Love Languages (laughs) book nowadays. Before we wrap, I think there's one more quote I just wanted to share, and that is that love is something you do for someone else, not something you do for yourself. And that's really why these languages are so important, because of course we all want to feel loved, and I hope that your loved ones are showing you a great amount of love and filling up your tank. But really, all that we can do and all that we have control over is the way that we show love to others. So hopefully this gives you more insights into how you can love your loved ones best. Before we go, here's the bookmarked activity
1: for you to try, which we'll both also be working on for next week's episode. Of
0: course, we're going to recommend that you take the Love Languages quiz to find out your primary love language. We've included a link to the quiz in today's show notes at booksmartpodcast.com 12 If you're married or otherwise coupled, you could ask your partner to take the quiz too so you can discuss your results together. And as a next step, you could begin to ask each other about your respective love tanks by asking how full theirs is and what you could do to help fill it. You could do this as a weekly check-in or really whatever works for you.
1: And if you're single, consider journaling about what you've learned about your primary love language, or you can share it with someone close to you. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner, just someone who will be happy to listen to your insights and serve as a sounding board as you reflect on times when your love tank has been especially low or full. How will you use this knowledge with your current partner or in the future so that
0: you can continue to build more loving and fulfilling relationships? Thanks for joining us this week. To view the complete show notes and learn more about the five love languages, visit booksmartpodcast.com slash 12. We've also included our top takeaways and the bookmarked activity for easy reference. Once you've read the book, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know how learning your
1: love language has changed your relationship or if you had any aha moments by emailing us at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929 515 That's
0: 929-515-BOOK, or 2665. Lastly, we do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you did, we hope you'll leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Reviews let Apple know that great listeners like you enjoy our show, and that helps us expand our reach in search results. Thanks again for joining us on this
1: week's episode of Booksmart. Until next time, happy reading.